You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Emma Sasek's interview with the star for Chevalier, Kelvin Harrison Jr., and my interview with the film's director, Stephen Williams, and the film's screenwriter, Stephanie Robinson. Welcome to Paris, Joseph. Monsieur, I fear this will not be a kind place to such a boy. Boy has talent, but one in particular that is exceptional. Very well. I realized the more I exiled, the less I was alone. Were you always so competitive? The show-off who spoiled Mozart's concert. May I play with you, monsieur? Well, I hope this won't be embarrassing for you. Who the hell is that? You are quite a remarkable man, Joseph. I, Marie Antoinette, Queen of France, hereby anoint you Chevalier. In any other country, a man of your color would not be wearing such fine clothes. One day, the whole world will know me. And of course, the music will be spectacular. Bold. You don't belong here. You're a party trick. You're a pet. Playing the violin, that is all. Kevin, it is a pleasure to meet you. How are you? Well, I'm good. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk to you about this movie because I was geeking out because I played the violin for 10 years. <laughs> so I appreciate a good violin story. And you did such a great job here. Um, I think I was reading that that you started playing the violin at a young age, too. Is is that right? I was seven. I was seven. seven. Oh, my gosh. I, I was going to the Zuki program, but, but I sh- and I probably should have been because if I don't <laughs> bigger than I was. <laughs> <laughs> I I never got into that. I basically had to teach myself during school. So I was, I, I no one's asking me to play a, uh, the violin in any movie anytime soon. So that's why you're the professional here. <laughs> Getting the chance to play the story and, and, and be in this role. I mean, you know, what was it like for you that first time that you read the screenplay? I was actually just blown away. I was like, you know, it's such a funny thing, though, because actors have this way of like, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I'm not going to say all actors. I'm not going to generalize all actors. But I will say I had this moment of being like, wow, I just struck gold reading this one. I was like, this is an epic dude. Like, I couldn't believe what he had accomplished, how he moved, who he was as a person. Because sometimes people accomplish a lot of things, but they're not that interesting of people. They're just like good strategists. Joseph was like smart and charismatic and talented and good looking. You know, actors are always kind of looking for a role where they can kind of be good looking because, you know, you, you don't always want to be the, the weird looking guy. <laughs> <laughs> but there were so many things about it. And I was just blown away and excited about the opportunity. And really from the get go with this film, I mean, you get a full blast of his character in terms of a duel with Mozart, I I couldn't help but wonder, you know, if you could duel any composer, living, past, present, who would it be? And with what song would that be with? And it can be on any instrument either. Interesting. I would like to duel Nicholas Bertel. <laughs> like do a, a succession duel off where we just improv, like just different, just different interpretations of it. I love that. <laughs> He's great. <laughs> Um, throughout the film, I mean, it's 
by the time you get to the end, it's it's very tragic to read what happened in terms of Joseph Bologna's legacy and his work. But I mean, it's amazing to be able to relive it and see it through this context within the story. Were you familiar with him prior to this film, especially as a violinist yourself? No, I had never heard of him. I never. I was yeah. shocked that I hadn't heard of him, especially since like my dad actually he taught classical music in university. And I was oh, like, wow. dude, you never heard of him? He was like, nope. <laughs> so I was like, we're really slipping in the Harrison household. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it just shows like how important a story such as this is and to bring someone's legacy like this to life in, in a modern day and age. Yeah, I agree. I think it's um it's a big moment for him. And and he always knew he had what it took. He always knew he, he was supposed to, he deserved a moment where people really got to appreciate what he was offering as an artist. And um, mm-hmm. now's the time and never too, never too late. What would you say was the most impressive, most, you know, jaw dropping tidbit that you got to learn from, from his life, his music, all of that? Um, I think the, the controversy around his dynamic with his father and his mother, I thought that was, um, troublesome for me but also um kind of remarkable in some ways that he was able to survive it all mm-hmm. um you know it's just it's, 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 it's not even necessarily about him but more so the, who that man is that would do such a thing to a child and yeah. then have a kid and then take the kid and bring him to a place where a black child and bring him to a place where he doesn't even speak the language doesn't know anything mm-hmm. about it um, mm-hmm. That fascinated me. And then obviously Joseph's life after our movie where he kind of becomes this, leads this Black regimen. Um, yeah. I, I think it's just fascinating. I'm like, there's so many big shifts in his life that um, just make me think. <laughs> I, it seems like any portion of this man's life could have, is a movie in and of itself. I mean, from, as you mentioned, from the childhood era to the ones that we see in this film and him leading this all black regime. I mean, just such an impressive person in our, in history. Yeah. Um, throughout researching this period of time as well, obviously it's all contrasted with this crazy time that's going on in France with uprising, being able to dive more into that, how did all of that help shape, uh, I guess, just your your role in this film and understanding this entire climate around you? Um, I, you know, I thought it, it, said, it, it gave me so much insight as to how Joseph wanted to move during with these individuals. I think you had to really understand who was in power at the time. You had to understand, like, you know, who came before, who was in power when Joseph first entered Paris? Uh, how much had the politics changed by the time he was an adult when our movie takes place? And who is Marie Antoinette? You know, I think I knew of her. We mm-hmm. all know Let the Meat Cake. If yes. that's <laughs> right. Uh, if she ever said that. <laughs> but I think you needed to kind of really understand who she was as a woman, who she was as a young lady, as well as a young girl. Mm-hmm. In order to understand what she what was intriguing about Joseph to her um, and what if that relationship was false, if mm-hmm. that relationship had any real standing, um, any real love in it, any real respect. Um, and I think all those things played into what Joseph could knew to knew what he knew to be true. He was smart enough to be able to know who was a liar and who wasn't, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, he's smart enough to know who was on his side and who wasn't. 
And so, yeah, you just have to start to understand the other characters. Who's Lagimar in his, historically? Who is John Lees? Um, and, and, and so on and so forth. I've been following your career the last several years, and I have honestly been impressed with you since I saw you in Waves. And I feel like with every film that you make, you bring something more and new to the screen. You know, I'm always curious what types of stories are are you always looking for? You said you basically kind of struck gold when it came to this movie, but just in general, as you as you go through all these various projects, what is it that at the end of the day you're looking for with storytelling? Well, thank you. That's really nice of you to say, by the way. You're welcome. <laughs> I think um I'm just looking for things that challenge me or that remind me of like my sense of or self-worth. You know, I think it's really tough because you enter a business like this, like I guess I, I went to school for marketing, you know, I, I didn't intend to be in any entertainment industry and I didn't really know what that would mean for me. And um, I love storytelling. I loved music. I love music because of the, the storytelling in music. I'd never felt like I had um, enough of a gift in it to do the storytelling the way I wanted to. And that's what I appreciated about acting. But when I'm choosing projects, I'm choosing projects that allow me to see society um, in a more expansive way, um, look at who I am in, in, in my life and my personal journey in, in a more expansive way, things that challenge me, things that excite me, things that give me more hope, things that give me maybe hopefully more clarity. And I feel like if it's doing that for me, it's probably going to do it for an audience. And that's it. It's just it's making the more the human experience more enjoyable. That's all. Absolutely. Well, I know that I've been really enjoying to see you in films. I'm excited to see you in many, many more. Thank you so much for your time. It was such a pleasure to meet you. Well, thank you. Bye-bye. You know I am the best. You are playing a dangerous game, friend. You forget your place, boy. Break his hands. This world is painful for us. My son. But there is always the choice. I'm putting on a concert. Let us fund the revolution. We cannot afford to make any more enemies. France is changing. You could be more influential than you know. Leverage it. If you take to the stage, you will be erased. There will be no new France. You cannot topple what has been ordained by God. Not everything is about you people. Hello, Stefani and Steven. How are you both doing today? How are you doing, man? It's Stephanie. That's okay. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's no spelled like Stefani. It happens. Okay. No worries. But I'm very, very happy to be speaking with both of you here today about your newest film, Chevalier, which I saw at its world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival. And I knew right then and there, holy crap, I need to see this movie again and again oh. and again. I have not seen a period film presented in this manner in quite some time. And a lot of that has to do with the direction. A lot of that has to do with the writing. And so I want to ask questions that are going to have both of you uh, answer together here. So starting off first with just uh, Stephanie, the discovery, the, the creation, if you will, of this fascinating, fascinating character and where the idea for the script came from. And then, Stephen, how it landed in your lap. Um, the idea of the script just came from his life. Like I wish, I wish that there was like a more 
interesting story. I, but I, I think for me, like I read about him when I was a teenager and um, you just sort of skim the highlight reel of this guy's life. And it's like, yeah, why isn't this life or why isn't his life a movie? Um, it's so glaringly obvious that it needs to be one. It's so epic. It's operatic. It's cinematic. It's all it's all of those words. Um, and to then learn that no one really knew about this person or cared about this person or, or you know, I wasn't being educated in school about him or not even a passing mention. Well, how did you uh, read about him then when you were a teenager? I, I read case? about him in a little, like a book that my mom gave me and it wasn't a book about him. It, it was just like this, this tiny little mention. And I think the book specifically was about people of color who maybe contributed great creative things like throughout history. So like it was a very, yeah, very focused book with a very focused um, subject matter. Um, and that's how I found out about him. And to me, um, again, it was, it was just sort of obvious that, that this person was, so special and I think I was just confused about why why no one was really I don't know talking about him but talking about him or playing his music or or discussing his contributions to fencing or anything like that it sounds like everybody needs to uh get a hold of this book and tell all of these great stories about all these I gotta find it. I don't, people. I know. I'm like I'm just oh man like years later I'm like I gotta get my hands on that thing it's like my <laughs> I'm gonna be dining out on that book <laughs> 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 and then Stephen, how did this uh great screenplay uh find its way over to you you know i was fortunate enough to you know the script got sent to me by searchlight pictures and like literally from page one i was captivated and uh you know as you so accurately noted stephanie's script was just so clear and fully realized and the tone of the piece was already embedded from the first scene and I you know knew immediately that it was a story that I really wanted to be a part of helping to bring to the screen that's fantastic and I got to talk about just this uh, opening character introduction you know he is brought onto the screen doing dueling violins with Wolfgang uh, Amadeus Mozart and then you have that awesome smash cut to the title card right after uh, the one character proclaims who the fuck is that? <laughs> Just, I want to know um, how much of that was all there initially in the script. Steven, what did you bring to it? Because I think it's just such a really powerful and impactful uh, way to introduce a character and kickstart a movie. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it was all that sequence was all there on the page, really. Um, the the execution of it was pretty straightforward from my point of view. Um, you know, not as beautiful. <laughs> it's like it's a gorgeous scene. And he uh, like, I mean, I don't even know how you did that in the way that it feels the camera moves and it feels so contemporary. And 
I mean, it's not an easy scene to shoot for so many different reasons. I'll be his hype man for a second. <laughs> <laughs> two actors who are who are essentially playing the violin. There's an orchestra up there. There, you know, we're in this the state theater in beautiful Prague with you know. The audience filled out, you know, with extras and period clothing. Like it's there's so many things could have gone wrong that day, but um, Stephen navigated it beautifully. Kelvin oh, Harris sorry. Jr. You know, I mean, that's all him playing the violin in that in that sequence. You know, wow. Um, he he spent six months, six hours a day, you know, working with the best violin coaches in the world, trying to get himself to a place where he could you know, um, portray that virtuosic violinist Chevalier and, um, and, you know, particularly because I, I was, I was pretty clear once I read Stephanie's script that I wanted to film that sequence in really long takes so as to avoid any kind of audience confusion that there was a stunt double or cinematic trickery. It's like you, what you see is what you get. And that's Kelvin Harrison playing that violin. So that much kudos goes to him. I, have been impressed by that man's talent for a number of years now. And I am continued to be astonished. Uh, it's just, he, he's incredible kind of going off of that. Now though, one thing that really impressed me on my second time viewing this movie, because, you know, I, I'd already known the basic story beats after my first viewing. And when I went to go watch it a second time, I was really impressed by the pacing and just the overall length of this movie. You're telling a, character study, a period film in less than two hours time. So Stephanie, just from a screenwriting standpoint, how do you decide what moments to pick and choose from this person's life? Because biopics, if you will, uh, can obviously balloon up and be hundreds of pages long uh, in the screenwriting process. And then Stephen, can you talk a little bit about just the editing process of giving this film this propulsive momentum? In regards to the script, it was just a lot of preparation before writing and then rewriting and then rewriting and rewriting. <laughs> but I think um, the preparation for me was just absorbing as much research as I could, even if the research wasn't, um, was just hints of things or rumors about Joseph or like whatever it was, like any information that I could get and sort of filter through and like get into my brain. Um uh, I just spent my time doing that. I was just sort of ravenous for any kind of information about him, about the people he was spending his time with, about the the period of time, um, the city that he was living in, the cultural norms back then, et cetera. And I think that, you know, you have to take time to let that marinate. And then the story sort of emerges, I think, organically, if that makes sense. So um, it's like, okay, well, what events in his life do you feel like they're the stickiest or the most compelling or how do they relate to one another, even if it's not like historically factual how they relate to one another from just a purely dramatic standpoint? Do, are there two events in his life, for instance, that actually do relate um, that, that feel like one might lead organically to the next thing? Um, so it was just a lot of reading and a lot of simmering and a lot of thinking. And then when Stephen and I were really going through the script while also researching more thoroughly, it was a lot of like just trying things on for size. Like, okay, you know, do we want to spend more time on his on his upbringing on a plantation? And if we do, why do we need to see that, or why don't we need to see that, or what is sort of the meat of the matter um, over here or at this period in his, of his life? Um, but I, I think from the get go, Stephen and I were very clear about not wanting to make a cradle to grave story about him, just because I don't. I'm not even sure we would do it justice in a film, and it would have to be like a five hour long movie. I think to, to really get it right. 
But I, I think that the thing that was important to me was just that the story did feel operatic and it did feel dramatic and did feel dramatized because I, I think the thing that was important to me, like when I was a kid and when I did read about Chevalier was that that's what it felt like. It felt like uh, someone was telling me a story that was like mythical or that it was like a, like a children's story or like a, like, you know, like a fairy tale is sort of what it felt like. And mm-hmm. that was sort of the magical thing that I think attracted me to him in the first place. So to try to preserve that as well, you know, to tell a story that feels conventional and again, I don't think that conventional is a bad thing. I think to be able to pull off conventional really well is an incredibly difficult thing. <laughs> like it's, it, I, I, I really think it is, and I say that with a lot of love in my heart for this movie that it does feel operatic in that way. Like you, it is very clear who the villains are. It's very clear who the hero is. It's very clear what the hero is struggling with. It's clear, um, you know what journey he's on and in the midst of, you know, in in the backdrop of, you know, simmering, you know, political strife. Like, I think we're not trying to trick anybody in terms of how we're telling the story or how it's unfolding. I really do think it's, it's a journey that is, um, that it's, it's well known. I I think it's, there's a hero's journey happening there. And that to me is a really beautiful thing. But on the other hand, I'll let you talk. No, no, Great. I love it. <laughs> On the other hand, like I also think there are parts of it that are unconventional. Like I think that Stephen was so amazing at um making a period or getting a period piece to feel contemporary. Like that it feels very new and it feels electric and it feels alive. And and um to pull that off is incredibly difficult. So while, you know, and from a storytelling perspective, it might feel very um familiar and and comfortable um because it is such a I think classic hero's journey that's happening there. I think the way in which it's told and that goes into your question about pacing and how it feels and how it does feel electric, I think is another sort of unconventional thing entirely. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I was like, what else can you add after that? Um, <laughs> Nothing. I mean, it's it's a uh, Stephanie said it perfectly. Yeah, she did. Um, but Stephen, I want to ask you this question then. Yeah. So you have these scenes that you shoot that come from S- Stephanie's script. Unfortunately, as we all know, some stuff ends up on the cutting room floor. Can you talk a little bit about being the final rewrite, if you will, uh, for Stephanie's script and shaping? Chevalier, is there a scene or two that didn't make the final film that you wish could have gotten in there, but just for the sake of, like I said, pacing, shaping the movie, uh, it it had to go? I mean, I think that happens on every movie, right? Mm-hmm. With only a couple of notable exceptions that I can think of, like, you know, Hitchcock's Rope, which is like 10, 10 minute takes strung together. So right. probably nothing left behind. Um, <laughs> and besides, it's Hitchcock. So, you know. That was a guy who knew what he was doing. Um, (laughs) In our case, there wasn't that much that, I mean, we planned really carefully. You know, when you're on a kind of limited budget and limited number of shooting schedule, you got to plan really carefully. And we planned really carefully for, you know, the execution of the movie. So it's actually not that much in terms of complete scenes that doesn't uh, exist in the final cut. But there are scenes that were shortened. because they played better and they paced better. And um, we had, you know, an amazing editor, John Axelrod, who understood that we were on some level, as Stephanie has, you know, intimated, we were on some level trying to make a movie that felt like a musical, even though it wasn't a musical, like that was unfolded like, 
you know, visually like, uh, you know, that was operatic in its own way. Um, yeah. Even though obviously there's of necessity, there's dialogue in it, but it's, um, you know, it wanted to be paced like a musical. It wanted to be paced like, like an opera, like a, like a myth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some scenes were shortened as a result of that. And, um, but for the most part, they, they, um, the, the, the film is intact from script to finished yeah. product. Mm-hmm. Really. I love that. I love, I love that economical storytelling. It tells me that you all did your homework. You all knew the assignment, whatever people want to say. Uh, and that's really cool because like at the end of the day, like I said, I think this is one of the most, uh, thrilling period films that I've seen in quite some time. A lot of times I watch period film and I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's got a certain tempo and pace to it. And it's a little stuffy at points, you know, because that was just the customs of the time, but this just felt like it had this, I don't know how to explain it, but you said operatic. I, I agree with that, but also this like brooding foreboding sense of danger, this undercurrent of how this is a guy who is in a white person's world as a person of color. And there's always like this tension, this feeling of unease. But as the film progresses, he embraces his identity and carves out a name for himself that unfortunately was almost lost to history. Uh, but you, you, you two have brought it back to us. And I think that that's incredibly badass. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, yeah, because it's triumphed in the end. Yeah. Despite yeah, all efforts to, to erase him and to silence him. He, his music continues to this day. So great. Yeah, definitely. Can you also just tell me a little bit about uh, what was for you, Stephen, the hardest scene to shoot? And Stephanie, what was the hardest scene to write? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hardest scene to shoot. Uh, oof. What do you think, Steph? What was the hardest, hardest scene to shoot? To shoot. All of them? <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, theater stuff. There was a lot yeah. of, you know. I mean, the logistics, I guess. You know, yeah. like the final, let's say the final performance yeah. was pretty tough because uh, it was a super sensitive location. That location was, I forget how many centuries old it was, oh, but, but you know, <laughs> basically everything you, you, you could touch was some kind of treasure of antiquity. <laughs> and film crews are notoriously like, you know, destructive <laughs> and uh <laughs> that was not a good combination um given the nature of that the sensitive nature of that location and we wanted to respect that and and um and be as careful as we could and yet it's a fairly boisterous climactic finale sequence so um trying to get that right was was uh pretty challenging i think yeah to that end probably the hardest scene to write was the ending because remember it came together super Late, late in, in the, the process, yeah. the, the the ending as 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 you see in the movie, um, and there was a lot of balls in the air and things that we needed to get right about wrapping everyone's story up. And I think, looking back, and I've never even really thought about this. Sort of like the beautiful thing about the ending is that I think it kind of, like, even though it was hard, right? You have to have this confrontation. I think with Marie Antoinette um, and uh, the Marquis, uh, you have this sort of triumph with his music triumph with you know his mother's there and they have this shared connection it is sort of like you know okay there's all these sort of stories that are culminating in this moment and what's going to feel satisfying um but uh, i guess looking back at it i think it is pretty cool that like the ending does sort of feel like a dream right like in the same way that the beginning does like i right. think that the, the, we were sort totally. of on the same page that the beginning is kind of like a weird fever dream fantasy it's like obviously yeah. this didn't happen but this is just sort of the energy of like 
you know, introducing this character. And I, I think luckily there's the way that Stephen has shot the ending and, and how it was paced and how beautiful it is. I think there's a similar quality to the ending that right. it is sort of like yeah. a sort of beautiful dream sequence that, you know, bookends the movie really beautifully. Again, that feels operatic in, uh, in that way. Yeah. I mean, I just so, think, um, Stephanie, by the way, I, I have to share with you that she, in writing that final sequence, you know, it, the, the the hats were reversed. I was like, oh, they should say all of this stuff. And she, the writer, was like, nope, they should say nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's normally the other way around. The director's always like slashing and burning and stuff. And the writer's like, what about my precious words? And it was, yeah. <laughs> that's just, a, in, a, in a way, a kind of haiku of our working relationship, which oh, yeah. I, I can't tell you, uh, certainly from my perspective, could not have been more rewarding and thrilling yes. to have a, a collaborative collaboration with someone as brilliant as as Stephanie and as flexible as she was so um that the success of that final sequence is again entirely due to not entirely due to that's very nice (laughs) we're just gonna keep complimenting each other for the next hour and a half (laughs) well maybe uh the compliments could continue into future work do you plan to work together again I would have the door is always open for sure (laughs) easy (laughs) easy if he'll have me of course (laughs) (laughs) well before we go here i would love to know uh what the both of you have uh coming up in the future any uh future projects that you are currently working on that we should be on the uh, lookout for stephanie we could start with you um i i am uh, about to go shoot a pilot in a couple weeks based off the um the the british show peep show that you're directing not directing, show running. Although what? She could, if she wanted to, she could <laughs> no do easy task. Trust me. You're very kind. I I'm just I'm still reading a lot of stuff, and I haven't decided what I'm going to do next. People are banging his door down. Is what's happening? Let's track down that book. Let's let's tell <laughs> yes, more stories. You're um, absolutely people right. Exactly. That's now the holy grail. We'll, you might, we'll, gotta we'll find that. Like pin the tail on the next movie. We'll, like blindfold <laughs> ourselves and throw a dart. That let's is- reclaim history here. You know. Let's yeah, make yeah. history by reclaiming history. There you go. All right. St- Stephen, Stephanie, thank you both so, so much for your time here today. I, I I cannot stress enough how much this movie not only just took me by surprise in the most thrilling way imaginable. It was nothing like I thought heading into it. And then when I saw the trailers and the marketing, I was like, they're doing it right. Yes, they're selling it exactly how it should be sold. And Kelvin's just amazing in it. I really, really hope that uh, our listeners will check this one out because I really do think it is something special. And you two are obviously at the forefront of that. So thank you so much for Chevalier. Thank you. And thank you for your kind words. Appreciate it. Have a good rest of your day. You as well. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Emma Sassick's interview with the star for Chevalier, Kelvin Harrison Jr., and my interview with the director of the film, Stephen Williams, and the screenwriter, Stephanie Robinson, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Chevalier will open up in theaters on April 21st from Searchlight Pictures. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we will see you all next time.
Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.